Welcome to The Roundup, a North Queensland-based podcast with regional content for regional clinicians. I'm Alyssa Hathaway, a GP and family planning clinician and head of JCU's clinical school here in Mackay. This collaborative podcasting project between North Queensland Regional Training Hubs, JCU, and our local regional hospital and health services will bring you a different regionally relevant podcast each fortnight. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands where we meet today, who were the original providers of healthcare in this region. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Deb Lees from Cairns about disc prolapses and when we might think that surgery is the best option. Deb is an incredibly experienced orthopod who is working in the public service in Cairns. Deb is originally a chiropractor from South Africa and has a background in helicopter paramedic work and has worked also as a commercial diver and as a chiropractor in the UK for professional athletes. She comes to us here in Cairns with a fellowship in spine, particularly in trauma and experience in peds as well. Welcome, Deb. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us. We've got so many interesting things to talk about in terms of disc prolapses. Maybe we should just dive straight in then. As a doctor, how am I going to know clinically that a person has a disc prolapse on their examination findings or do I need to go straight for imaging? So the imaging is actually one of the last things that we like to do. Um, And most of the time we can actually tell Uh, you know, the nature of the person's problem by the way that they walk in the door um, and also the story that they give us. So I often tell a lot of our juniors that, you know, really we should be able to get the diagnosis from a good history. Um, And then your examination just really ticks the box that you're on the right story with the history. Um, And then, you know, the imaging is just really to confirm your, your diagnosis and really should be the last thing. So, In terms of signs, people often give a um, a story that they were bending over, that they've picked up something heavy, they did an awkward manoeuvre or they've sneezed or they've coughed um, is, you know, the classic acute um, way. And people often then describe that this is initially back pain and then it develops leg pain. And they can normally give you a very, uh, very accurate description of where down the leg that goes. Um, there's another group of people who have got more degenerative disc prolapses and they kind of give you a story that, you know, it's been sore for a a while, um, you know, but then again, there's normally an aggravating or a culprit factor um, that comes along with that. So it's generally the leg pain that's the giveaway that we're dealing with the disc, um, which differentiates it from mechanical back pain. And then particularly it's that they can't straighten the leg out in front of them. Um, or that it shoots down to the the foot. So typically below the knee and typically into the ankle and then sometimes into the foot. So it's that leg pain that's really, really key. Right. So when, Deb, are we thinking that this disc prolapse might in fact be an emergency? So the things that we take note of the most is that I always ask people is about the bowel and bladder dysfunction because that constitutes a cord requiner. And a cord requiner or compression of the cord requiner, which is the group of nerves, the horse's tail of nerves that comes down the low back. Um, And those are the nerves that control the bowel and the bladder. So if there's any threat to those in terms of compression, space occupying lesions, um, we always worry about the bowel and bladder because these are life changing 
um, injuries and we need to operate within 24 to 48 hours at the very least um, if we to have a good result. So there's very specific questions you have to ask someone to determine this. Um, a lot of people are embarrassed to ask someone or they don't know if it's, you know, a long-standing urinary issue with women. Is it to do with childbirth, you know, pelvic floor weakness? So specifically, I ask, are you having any trouble with your bowel and bladder? And specifically, can you start and stop with good control is the key mm -hmm. word that I use. And the other thing that I ask is, can you feel your bladder filling up? Because if we've got problems with the quadraquina, the, the definition of a bowel or bladder dysfunction is that you end up with a painless urinary retention and then an overflow. So what happens, people aren't aware of the bladder filling up because they've lost the sensory input to the bladder. And then when the bladder reaches approximately a liter, the urethral sphincter then becomes incompetent and then they have a sudden incontinence. So it's not that little stress incontinence, oh, I've coughed, I've sneezed, I've, I've got a little bit of wetness. Often it's, you know, it's a frank incontinence from the water side of things. Now, the, um, the fecal side of things is different because this is where you get loss of anal tone. So this is where people describe smearing, they describe, um, you know, passing motions and not being aware of it. And then also because they've lost saddle sensation, they're not aware of having soiled themselves and it's normally, you know, other things that alert them to the problem. So that would be the, the main thing um, in terms of painless urinary retention, then with an overflow incontinence and then a loss of anal tone with subsequent um, incontinence there. But generally by the time we're onto the fecal side of things, um, that comes after the urinary side of things. We're normally, you know, into unsalvageable sort of territory. And then the other things that we look out for is any form of neurological deficit. So is there a loss of sensation? Is there a loss of power? Has there been any change in their reflex status? So, you know, are they losing reflexes, that kind of stuff? Right. So with lower back pain and leg pain being so incredibly common and disc degeneration or a disc bulge being one of those potential causes, what are the criteria for deciding that a person might need surgery? So first of all, if they've got any signs of quadraquina threat, um, that's an emergency. We want to see them quickly. Um, and that's because we want to take them to theatre um, ASAP. If they've got any kind of neurological deficit, such as a foot drop, um, we normally want to try and get them to theatre within two to four weeks. Unfortunately, some people don't go to the doctor quickly enough. Um, mm -hmm. So some that particular window. Um, and then if someone's just really not coping with the pain, you know, despite throwing everything we've got at it um, analgesia-wise, and they are, are just not coping, um, we then talk about doing something early. So normally we would want to try get the person over the acute episode if it's not a record requirement or not associated with neurological deficit. We'd want to try get them over that acute episode with non-operative measures, physiotherapy, painkillers, ice packs, positioning. And then normally people tend to turn a corner and things start to settle down. But if things are persisting after six weeks, particularly if we're getting to sort of, you know, the two-month, three-month mark, um, then it's less and less likely as time goes on that things are going to settle. Right. So for someone who does need surgery, as you've just described, what will that actually entail for the patient? And, you know, do you take out the whole disc or do you just reduce the pressure in the space? What do you actually do? 
Okay, so we take them to theatre. We've got a very um, glamorous table. Um, we put you face down on and we um, localise the area with x-ray to make sure we've got the right level. Um, we normally come down the side where the disc bulge is. So normally disc uh -huh. bulge the side or the other. Um, we come down that side. We may have to take a bit of bone to access that disc more easily. We sweep all the nerves to the side. We do it under direct vision. And then that disc bulge normally declares itself. And once we're sure we can see it, we then remove any disc material that is loose. Um, so saying that it's normally a question of a lot of the disc material just, you know, mobilizes on, it, on its own once we're down there and we actually incise the posterior longitudinal ligament. Um, it normally just pops out of its own. It's a bit like Dr. Pimple Popper, if you've seen any of, of that. Um, and then we take out as, as much that is loose, but I try to leave any disc material that is solidly adhered. Um, I try to leave that because we still have, you know, a function for that disc to serve. Um, mm. If we can not remove everything, that would be my preference. So I do normally counsel people that there is a, a small risk postoperatively because we've not removed the entire disc, that if they do um, do something uh, a little rash or they um, pick up something or have another trauma, there is a risk that another disc fragment then mobilizes, in which case we may have to go down and do a revision surgery. Right. So the disc really can prolapse a second time, can't it? It can. So I normally tell people, you know, if they've had one disc prolapse, the chances of them having a recurrent prolapse at that same level is, is higher, that they're more at risk of that happening, particularly if they engage in risky activities such as manual labor, jobs, heavy lifting, that kind of stuff. Um, but we'd normally offer a second discectomy or a revision discectomy. But by the time we've done two discectomies, there isn't really much disc material left. Um, and then if they have ongoing problems, then we're really talking about some kind of fusion procedure. Right. So even before we get to surgery, Deb, often these discs will settle with time, won't they? Can we use an injection in those circumstances too? So yes and no. Um, so a lot of them will settle and a lot of them we do manage non-operatively. And there's actually quite a big proportion of people who come to us with, you know, big disc protrusions on MRI who then say, I really don't want surgery that route and, and all of that's fine, you know, provided there's no threat to their neurological status. Now, injections we use slightly differently in the hospital compared to um, general practice. And that is because we're kind of coming at this problem from different sides. So the two ways we use the injection is one for from my side on a surgical side is to prove that we have the correct culprit in terms of what is causing the pain. So if I've got a big disc bulge and it maps to a certain dermatomal level, I'll do a nerve root block at that level and then follow up with the patient to see if they had any pain relief. And if the person says, look, that was lovely, took the pain away, even if it just lasts for a couple of hours, um, I can then confirm that definitely got the right level, it is definitely that disc that's causing the pain and the pain isn't coming from their hip, isn't coming from, you know, something else that we then need to investigate further. And that if we do do surgery, we could expect a good outcome is, is what I tend to use the injections for. 
The other aspect of that is if we have someone who's an extremist in a lot of pain, we're really struggling to control that and give them a bit of a quality of life. Um, we can then offer an injection from a pain management point of view, but it's not really a good um, prolonged strategy in terms of pain management. And I normally say to people that, you know, I do these injections as a test and as a side effect, some people have a prolonged relief because there's a steroid as part of that injection. It's a combination of local anesthetic and steroid. The initial flush of pain relief is actually the local anesthetic that works. And then the steroid takes a couple of days to kick in to have an effect and then has hopefully a prolonged relief. But not everyone has that prolonged relief. So it's not always a guarantee. It's not always a foolproof strategy. And it certainly doesn't work long term. Um, but if someone's desperate and, you know, we, we can't get them to surgery or they're not a surgical candidate um, for whatever reason, then, then that becomes one of the tools that we use. Um, but personally, I use it more for confirmation of diagnostic level um, rather than pain management. Sure. So, Deb, you've talked about the patients who really need surgery quite urgently, those with quarter-equinous symptoms uh, yeah. or any neurological deficit. You've talked about the patients who are suitable for surgery when their analgesia needs are just not being met with yep. our medications that we have on offer. And you've talked about those patients who are just dead against back surgery regardless. And I can appreciate that. That's for sure. Yeah. Who are, yeah. Who are those patients who would be better off with physio or persisting with analgesic medications? Um, so those are people who often have back pain. So one of the issues with disc surgery is that the, the discectomy is very good for relieving the leg pain, but isn't very good for relieving the back pain because the back pain comes from the facet joints and comes from mechanical issues, facet joint osteoarthritis, facet joint irritation, of which a discectomy is not going to address. And sometimes in order to access the disc, I actually have to undercut that facet. We call that a facetectomy procedure. Um, and that can sometimes, again, stir up inflammatory changes around that facet. And sometimes it can actually worsen the back pain. Um, so that is something I counsel people about. Um, other people who have good results from non-operative management are people who actually have a bit of a sequestrated fragment because once it's sequestrated, which means it's moved out from behind the posterior longitudinal ligament into the canal and it's kind of a free floating kind of segment, mm. the body is then able to reabsorb that. Um, but if you have a protrusion, a disc protrusion or a disc extrusion that's still contained behind the posterior longitudinal ligament, it's very unlikely that that then gets absorbed because it doesn't set off that same inflammatory process. So um, a sequestrated segment is worth riding out a little bit longer to see if that resolves. Um, they don't always resolve, um, but there's a much better chance of that resolving than, you know, something that's still contained behind that posterior longitudinal ligament. Right. So physio can be a great option there. What about chiropractic? Is that useful at all? It is actually. And um, I'm a great supporter of chiropractic. And I know it's a bit of a contentious effort. Uh, issue because not everyone is supportive of it um, and generally I find that's really because a lot of people don't understand what chiropractic is um, and a lot of people make the assumption they do and that it's spinal manipulation and a lot of people 
are particularly worried about spinal manipulation, particularly of the neck. They've all heard horror stories of people having their neck adjusted mm. and then potentially having a stroke. If you look at the statistics of that, it's incredibly rare that that happens. Um, a lot of the incidences that have been reported were chiropractic techniques being used by people who were not chiropractors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you look at the profile of chiropractic, the safety compared to some of the stuff I do, you know, I can create a lot more problems with surgery. There's a lot of complications, a lot of risk compared to something like chiropractic, osteopathy, um, which is very hands-on, is very, very effective. Often the evidence doesn't necessarily reflect that, but a lot of that is just we don't have the evidence, not that it's not effective. Um, You know, there just hasn't been funding into it. There hasn't been a lot of exploration of that. But, you know, certainly anecdotally, we have a lot of patients come in who have, you know, gone down the dark art of some of these um, options and are are quite actually embarrassed to admit it because they feel that Mm -hmm. they'll be Um, or that it will be viewed, you know, in a bad light that they've sought out this kind of help. But a lot of people say, you know, I actually, you know, had had a great experience. I had really good, good results. But because it's not supported by mainstream medicine, they feel incredibly guilty, you know, having gone down that route and very reluctant to admit it, very reluctant to discuss it again, worried that they'd be judged, you know, against that. So, Uh, My recommendations is that if you are going to see someone who is a chiropractor, who is an osteopath, you know, make sure that they are suitably qualified, make sure that they are suitably registered and insured, Um, ask around to get some of their reputation, um, because there's lots of people who will know who they are and what they do. And then, you know, sort of work with that person and, and see that you get on well with them, that, you know, you can have a good therapeutic relationship with that person. Um, And then, you know, I think you'd, you're onto a, a, a good a good option there, you know, provided you you go in it and make sure that it's not someone who's just got a sign up side, but, you know, doesn't have all the qualifications around the back. Right. So now for those of us who don't have disc prolapses, what are the sorts of things that we can do to make sure we keep our backs as healthy as possible and avoid a disc prolapse? That's the million dollar question. Um, if I had the ah. to that, if I had the answer to that, I think I wouldn't be working here. I'd be sitting on a really nice yeah. somewhere in the Mediterranean. Um, <laughs> so I, I think there's a couple of practical things that people can do, and one of the most effective things is to try and keep your weight within a healthy range. Um, essentially, your back, particularly your lower back, which is where you get a lot of the disc bulges, um, you know, carries a lot of that that weight it's the support structure for your pelvis um so by keeping your weight down you just reduce the the strain that those joints have to uh, put up with um it's a bit like calluses under your feet um you know so the the less irritation to the area the less degenerative changes you get there um having a good core so you know making sure that you've got Um, good, strong stomach muscles, that those are balanced um, with your spinal muscles, that you do some good exercise, um, that you have a good healthy diet that, you know, encompasses a good protein option that, you know, the body then has the amino acids for the repair, particularly for your collagen based structures. And then also, you know, just keeping moving, Um, you know, make sure that you're 
not doing stuff where you've got a repetitive activity that you're not taking a break from, you know, driving for prolonged periods without stopping for a break and stretching your legs, um, doing repetitive gardening, doing repetitive uh, construction work, that kind of thing. So, you know, make sure you take regular breaks, make sure you stretch, you know. And then the other thing is that a lot of people go straight for the heat packs. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, using an ice pack can be very effective as well. So, um, yep. Things like that. Hydration is, is the other thing I put down, particularly in far north Queensland. You know, we get some crazy hot days. Um, and then when I speak to people, they just don't drink enough. And one of the issues we see on the disc is dehydration. Um, now, it, whether drinking a lot is going to change the hydration of the disc, I couldn't guarantee. Um, but, certain, you know, the more circulating water that you've got, the more options your body has for using it and distributing it. Sure. Okay, so... For those patients who do suffer a disc injury, Deb, when is referring them to the hospital the right choice as their clinician? So if we have people who have, you know, possibly a threat to their cord recliner, people who've got a foot drop, people where we're worried about the neurological deficits, then those are people we really want to see urgently um, and we can assess them. We may not have to do anything urgently, um, but certainly if we can see them and assess them, we at least have the luxury of, you know, safety netting them and also appropriately triaging them. Um, the second group are the, you know, this has been an ongoing issue for a long time and they're struggling with employment, they're struggling with activities, they're, tr- they're struggling with relationships. And these are people that we then want to see, but we don't necessarily need to see them urgently. Um, and we'd like to be sure that these people have, you know, exhausted all the other options before they get to us. So preferably they've had a good, you know, bit of time with the physio, that they've had a really good analgesia regime. Um, you know, what is very frustrating is if we see people who've had these ongoing chronic issues who want to discuss what the surgical options are, and then you ask them, well, what have you tried for analgesia? And they say, oh, I don't like taking tablets, so I don't mm-hmm. take And, you know, the discussion there is the risks of surgery can be huge, you know, yeah. compared to risks of some of the medication and sort of putting that into perspective um, is sometimes needed. So it's a bit frustrating when people come wanting to have those discussions, not having tried the other stuff that might actually be very effective. Yes, and that's certainly a battle that we all face with our patients, isn't it, to get them to try something that they're a little bit reluctant to do. I must admit, I would be more reluctant to have my back operated on. And it sounds like that's not an unreasonable point to take. As you say, the disc surgery has much greater risk than some of the other options we have as therapies around. Yeah, and, you know, by all means, surgery may very well be necessary. But, you know, I always say to people, if we consider the things that can go wrong, if we're in a situation where, you know, unfortunately something does happen, you know, if we've made the decision to do a procedure very lightly and we've not tried the other options and then you're sitting there thinking, I'm now having to live with the consequences of an unfortunate complication, you know, would I have been better off taking the medication or would I have been better off seeing the physio? But not knowing that because you jump straight to surgery is often a regret, you know, people can live with. And it, it and it's a hard one to live with. Oh, look, Dr. Deb Lees from Cairns, thank you so much for your time today and your expertise in backs 
um, I really appreciate particularly being reminded of the old adage that we all learned at medical school that the diagnosis is, of course, made on the history and confirmed with the examination. I think oftentimes we go too quickly to investigating. But thank you so much for your expertise and we look forward to speaking to you again next time. No problem. Thank you for having me. It's been a great afternoon. For more information about The Roundup or to share your feedback and ideas for future episodes, visit nqrth.edu.au forward slash roundup hyphen podcast or contact us at nqrth.mackay at jcu.edu.au. We also want to advise that the views and opinions presented in this podcast are those of the speaker only and do not represent the views and opinions of James Cook University, Northern Queensland Regional Training Hubs, or Queensland Health. The content supplied in this podcast is not intended as medical advice and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Northern Queensland Regional Training Hubs is an initiative of the Australian Government's Integrated Rural Training Pipeline, and is facilitated by James Cook University in partnership with public and private hospitals, Queensland Aboriginal and Islander Health Council, health services, Aboriginal community controlled health organisations and general practice clinics.